It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester United are one step closer to their first piece of silverware since 2017 as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer guides his team to the Europa League final. That is the headline for today's Football Social Daily. The subheading there is that they won't be playing Arsenal in that final after the Gunners limped out of the competition last night to Villarreal. This is your daily Premier League show, today with a European twist and a few new faces as well. I'm Jim Salverson and we've got the very old face of Marley Anderson on the podcast <laughs> today. How you doing, Marley? Wow, thank you. A 29 but old face, yeah, nice one, thank you. Do you know what, the opposite is true, completely. It's like Marley has the babiest face you've ever seen, so I'm, I'm, it's a slight falsehood there. But alongside him we have the very fresh-faced for the Football Social Daily podcast and the official face of podcast sponsor Boyle Sports joining us as well, Leon Blanche. How you doing, Leon? I'm doing great. Um, how are you guys? Yeah, really good. Pleasure to have you on today's podcast. Leon's not only going to be sharing his views on the latest top flight news, but also adding a sprinkling of betting tips to the podcast today as well. So if you've got 50p burning a hole in your pocket, listen out for them a little bit later. As well as the Europa League, we've got Premier League action to talk about and a takeover to discuss as Leicester City take on the never dull off the pitch, but frequently dull on the pitch Newcastle United in Friday night football. And before you play your final wild card of the season in one last attempt to win your fantasy football league just wait until you've heard the advice from game week podcasts matt dyson who will be along at the end of today's podcast to debate the positives and the negatives of manchester united's unheard of triple game week and let's start with the red half of manchester as well the score last night in the europa league roma three manchester united two that's an incredible five eight on aggregates that sees Manchester United through to the finals of the Europa League and it is the first final under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've lost their unbeaten seven match run which they were holding until that game but they're not going to be too bothered about that are they Marley? After all they're through to the final. Yeah no they they won't be bothered about the uh, the defeat. It's always one of them really strange games um, that you 
I mean, I I I gamble quite a lot, and uh, was I was looking at the game last night and thinking Roma Roma could win this, and Manu couldn't like could not be bothered about the about the loss. You mm. know what I mean? So even though you think Man United are clearly the better team, you're not you're not sort of expecting them to go and win the game. Um, so yeah, it played out like that. I think as well. I think um, you know. It's all about getting to the final at this stage. You're not really bothered. You'll take a one-nil defeat. It doesn't really matter, as long as you don't get, uh, you you know, put in a performance that makes you worry in any in any kind of way. And there was some decent performances from Man United's players. I think De Gea had a great game, um, which we've been waiting for him to have for a few years. Um, <laughs> uh, not bad for a backup goalkeeper, I suppose. If you're on 400 grand a week and making saves <laughs> like that, but you know, um, yeah, he he played well, Cavani. Did what he does, um, scores when you give him the chances. They did everything they needed to do, really. Um, and yeah, in the final, that's all you. It's all you want to be. I mean, it was six-two going into this leg, Leon, and it was always going to be difficult for Roma. But they came out of the blocks knowing what they needed to do. They came with a game plan, and they knew they needed to try and get an early goal, and that set up a really entertaining tie in the end. It really did because they had absolutely nothing to lose. Um, being down 6-2, as you said, Man United won this tie with the second half performance. They went in 2-1 down, they came out and they finished four goals in front. So Roma had to go for it right from the get-go. And it was entertaining. It's not what we're used to seeing from Italian sides, but they had to have a go. Now, unfortunately for them, um, even with all the chances with the saves that the Gea made... They actually went in 1-0 down at half-time. So that must have been a almost a dagger blow. But to be fair to them, they came out in the second half with Dzeko especially. He probably could have had more goals than he actually ended up with. But they gave it a good go. They won 3-2. It was more of a kind of morale-boosting win. I think Roma always knew they were never going to make it through to the Europa League final. But it was a very, very entertaining game to watch. Um would you be worried if you were Manchester United? I don't think so. Uh, it was just one of these games. You just want to get it out of the way. You know you're in a final. Um, and it was very important, I think, for the long-term kind of future of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to get over that kind of semi-final hurdle. I think that was the fourth semi-final that he had been in. So to get to a final for him and for his players was really all that mattered last night. Nothing else did. The, result, the actual result was irrelevant. Man United in the final, and that's all Manchester United fans will be thinking about. It's interesting that you've both mentioned David De Gea as having a decent game last night, because it's not often you can talk about a goalkeeper conceding three and still having a decent game. But did he keep United in this last night, Leon? Without him in goal, could it have actually flipped the tie? Well, look, I mean, he had a good game, but that's what he's paid to do. I mean, he's getting, you know, he's getting paid an awful lot of money, so he's there to make saves. And unfortunately for him, the reason why he's not first choice keeper at Manchester United at the moment is because he's made far too many errors. So last night just kind of showed everyone what he's capable of, but it's his lack of consistency that has cost him the number one jersey because in Henderson, he doesn't make as many mistakes as De Gea had been doing. And... Last night was good for his own kind of personal confidence. Even though he conceded three, I think many people would put him down as probably man of the match. So he's had a good game. Um, He'll get to play in the final, I'm assuming, that Solskjaer will keep him in goal. And for David De Gea, I'm looking at, 
his future. Is he going to stay at Manchester United if he's number two? And in my opinion, that's got to be a no. There's no point in having a world-class keeper, which he is on his day, um, sitting on the bench. And I don't think he shouldn't want to be sitting on the bench. Even though he's getting paid vast sums of money, footballers should want to play every single week. So that's going to be interesting what happens in the summer. He has been a good signing overall for Man United, but just his lack of consistency has cost him that number one spot. Do you think he's earned that place in the final now, Marley? Because it tends to be, in these circumstances, Europa League and League Cup, managers play their second goalkeeper, give them some game time, all the way to the final, and then they go with the player they trust most in the final. So with his performance last night, does De Gea earn that? Because, I mean, as Leon says, he's not a bad goalkeeper. It's just Henderson seems to have the trust of Solskjaer more than De Gea at the moment. Yeah, um... It's a funny one because I'll I'll never understand why managers play their so-called second choice weaker goalkeeper in a game where if they lose they get knocked out of the tournament. <laughs> I I've always thought that was a bit strange. Um, I've always thought if you're going to rotate your goalies, give it play your your weaker goalie in like a, a game against 18th, 19th in the league. Play him against Newcastle, we're not going to have a shot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so you know what I mean. Um, it's yeah, but it's it's a weird one. It's um, I, I expect De Gea to play. Um, it's a nice sort of headache to have when you've got two goalkeepers who you uh, who you can choose between with no real fuss, um, especially when they both sort of um, have the trust of the the defense and stuff. You know, sometimes you can see two goalkeepers with differing sort of um, philosophies, like one's more attacking than the other, for example. Um, it doesn't seem like that at Man United. I think they're both both sort of very in sync with the rest of the defence and things like that. The defence is pretty settled every week anyway, so that's nice to come into um, and and sort of be your best at. But yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's never bad when you can put David De Gea, who's been at the club for about nine years, um, however many Spain caps he's got, um, all the trophies he's won, all the things he's done in the game, and you put him in for, your, for a European final. So it's a nice little uh, headache to have, I suppose. The other outstanding performer last night from a Manchester United point of view was Edison Cavani, who's really grown into his role at Manchester United in recent weeks. Two goals again last night, and it was nice to see United playing with a proper centre-forward who knows how to play that game. How important has he become, Leon, for Manchester United? And can you see them, because it looks like he's off in the summer now, it looks like he's not particularly enjoying his time at Manchester United, whether that's changed in recent weeks or not, I don't know. But can you see them kind of sticking with the format that has worked for him in recent years in terms of recruiting a journeyman European forward in like a, a Robin Van Persie or a Zlatan Ibrahimovic or an Edison Cavani, having that kind of older statesman to lead the line off which Greenwood and Rashford can learn from seems to be working for them in the past. Yeah, look, I mean, I think Cavani, his career speaks for itself. He is just a natural, proven goal scorer. And the likes of Rashford, the likes of Greenwood, they've all um, benefited from being around him on the training ground day in, day out. It's bound to stand to them uh, going forward. But Manchester United, for me, need to break the bank for Harry Kane. It's as simple and as straightforward mm. as that. If this United side got Harry Kane in the summer who I do think will leave um, Tottenham Hotspur. I'm sorry to all the Spurs fans out there, but unfortunately... I'm not. I Spurs fans deserve everything they get. <laughs> I'm not sorry for them at all. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> well, I just feel the time is right for Kane to move. And for me, 
Kane would fit seamlessly into a Manchester mm. United side because they've got pace around him. He can be that number nine that everything can go through. And I think it's United have to stop putting plasters on the situation. They've got to go for a fix. And Harry Kane is the man that I see um, being the perfect man for Manchester United. Cavani, he's exceptional. Uh, his fitness levels, his desire, um, his work ethic, everything you hear about him, he's just the ultimate professional. And it's a credit to him that he's been able to come into the Premier League when he's got his chances. He scored goals in the Europa League, which, let's be honest, it's a million miles away from the Champions League standard when we've looked at the kind of two semi-finals in both respective competitions. The gulf in class is huge, but you've got to give credit to Cavani. When he gets a chance, he normally scores. But I think all Manchester United fans out there will be hoping that they can sign a proper number nine, mm. not just a guy who's going to come in for five or six months. I was wondering whether Benzema might be on their radar, actually, with Real being in the trouble they are financially, whether Manchester United might look to him. But Harry Kane is the obvious choice to fill in that role at Manchester United. It's a double-edged sword slightly, this European final, Marley, because it's another fixture at the end of the season. And it's going to add a little bit of pressure to the next week for Manchester United because they've got the fixture congestion to end all fixture congestion coming up. Three league games in five days. How are they going to cope with this? Because Solskjaer isn't a massive fan of rotation. He quite likes a settled first eleven. They've started to look a little bit leaky at the back Manchester United in recent weeks, although the results have been decent. So how are they going to handle this insane level of games they've got to play now in the Premier League over the next week? That's the that's tough one, I suppose. Um, do you know what? As much as it's a tough run of games. Man United are second in the league and cemented there. They can't they can't move. They're not gonna drop out of the top four in you know, if mm. if this week doesn't go go to plan. If they can only play the strongest team once and they get three points and then they get maybe a draw and a defeat, that's four points and they're still gonna be like solid in second. So it's not it's not like they're going into three um like a must win league game, a semi final and then, you know, a game with Liverpool for example where, you know, it doesn't really matter what's on the line, you've got to sort of try and beat them. Like, it's it's got to be tough to do, but I'd, do you know what? I, I don't think there's that much riding on it, as long as you come out of it with no injuries, and you can do that by rotating. Um, I think they've got enough players to rotate. They've got two left-backs. Right-back, they're a bit, struggle, a bit struggling a little bit with. I mean, my centre-back maybe as well with, you know, Baye will probably play one of the three games, and Lindelof will play the other two with Maguire at the back. Um, Van der Beek might get a game, so he'll be buzzing. He, you know, he played last night, and then he could be playing again in a week, so he doesn't have to sit on the bench for six weeks. Um, <laughs> they've got plenty of strikers. Greenwood. I mean, if you play two up front, Greenwood and Rashford, and then you got Cavani um, to come into that mix as well, and maybe play one up front the week after with with a winger like Daniel James or someone like that. So they've got plenty of of options. And Man United, I think, have, have played quite a few formations this year as well, which will help them. Um, get out of this this little con- congestion fixture, which uh, tends to happen towards the end of the season, but not quite as uh, as bad as this with the uh, with the three games in in six or seven days. So we'll see what they do, but I th- I don't think it's the be all and end all of their season because they're not massively important games. Any of them, the impo- most important game was was the semi final against Roma, and then the final um, against Villarreal next. Uh, well. Is it later this month? So two, three weeks for that. So 
It'll be all right, I think. It is United's longest spell without a trophy at the moment since 1985, which went on till 1990 and was obviously ended by Alex Ferguson beginning his collection of silverware. So if Manchester United can win the Europa League under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who knows what that symbolises going forward. They won't be playing Arsenal in that final because last night it was Arsenal nil, Villarreal nil. It was 2-1 down for the Gunners on aggregate in the end. So the chance of qualification has gone. I mean, they were 2-1 down and on paper, Leon, that looks like the kind of scoreline that Arsenal would have been relatively happy with taking back to London because you'd fancy them to score at home on paper. But I don't think there was a single person that thought Arsenal had it in them to win last night. It just, they don't feel like that kind of team. Is that part of the problem with Arsenal at the moment that it's not just the fans that lack belief, it's kind of the squad as well. It's the team that kind of lack that that self-belief that they can go that next step. I think they're missing leaders um, mm. right across the squad. They don't really have anybody that I could just pinpoint and say to you right now, when it's tough, he's going to get you out of a problem. They don't seem to have that for me. Um, it was a very attack-minded formation last night, um, in fairness to Arteta. I think he really, really went for it. I mean, when you look at the types of players who he picked last night, he couldn't really put, pick any more kind of attacking players. He had Aubameyang, he had Pepe, Saka, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe. I mean, there's not much more he could have done. But in watching kind of the highlights of that game, I was kind of flicking between both of them. There just looked to be a lack of effort. There looked to be a lack of kind of desire to to pass and move. And yes, they hit the post twice and maybe Aubameyang will be ruining I thought he should have scored the second one of those. But it just, Villarreal to me, always seemed to be kind of in control. That they were never really put under the cosh enough. It's the first time that Arsenal Football Club are not going to have European football for, I think, 25 or 26 years. So it's Yeah, a 1996 big... was the last time they didn't qualify. I mean, it's a huge blow, Jim. I mean, they're, they're ninth in the Premier League at the moment. They're way off uh, top four. There's massive problems at the club. We all know that the owner is not really liked by anyone associated with the club in terms of the fans. Um, we know there's a new bid in uh, to try and buy the club, to try and have more of a connection between owner and fans. But if you look at the playing squad and you look at the people who have been brought in, I mean, Aubameyang has signed a huge deal. He's on massive money. Lacazette, they're kind of coming to the end of their careers but Arsenal do have a couple of youngsters in the likes of Saka and Smith-Rowe that do have the potential to be very good players in the future. But who's actually who's grabbing those young guys and showing them how it should be done? I don't see that with Arsenal. I do like uh, Thomas Partey. I think he's a very, very good central midfielder, but he's only in there for his first season. Arsenal need a massive rebuild. And at the moment, Mikel Arteta, the pressure is really on him. Yes, he won an FA Cup for them. He got to a semi-final of a Europa League. But when you look at the league table, you look at the predicaments mm. that Arsenal are really facing. They've only won 14 matches out of 34 so far this year. That is not good enough for Arsenal Football Club. We'll talk more about Mikel Arteta and what it means for his future at the club in a second. But Leon hit on a great point there, Marley. The lineup last night was attacking and there should have been goals in that lineup, and 
it wasn't an insurmountable issue for Arsenal. They should have been able to get the goal they needed at home. And you'd expect the problem would be able to get would be getting those goals and keeping the ball out at the other end of the pitch. You look at that lineup, and there should be enough ability to be able to overcome teams like Villarreal, shouldn't there? Yeah, I think that's a little bit disrespectful to Villarreal because they're a good a good team and they're very well organised under Emery, who knows exactly what he's doing in in Spanish football. I don't think he, he quite got the respect. Uh, he needed in in England. I think he was just uh, he was driven out by a, a fan base that want blood and always want a new manager and you know, they tend to want a little bit more than more than they uh, they might be entitled to, um, in my opinion. But yeah, going back to the the lineup, everything was there for them, wasn't it? Every all the all the players you'd want were there. Uh, I think they played three up front, like a three four three system, but. As we know from this season, that system hasn't worked for them. That that system had them 15th, 16th in the league. Um, that's why everything changed when Arteta went back to a back four. And I know they've got injuries and, and you know things like that, but I, I don't think it really, don't think it really worked for them. Um, and it was kind of forcing everyone forward, but they weren't they weren't fluid. There wasn't any sort of real philosophy in what they were doing. It was kind of a little bit unhinged and a little bit. Um, let's hope if something can drop for us. And I thought, I think he just got his his whole tactics wrong, really. Um, and that's that's where that's where you judged, I suppose, as manager. Because I'm looking at Arsenal and thinking, where's the where's the consistency? I mean, Arsenal haven't been consistent for years now, but they did start to look like shoots of growth when Arteta came in and he won them the FA Cup. And you you got into this season thinking, can Arsenal get in the top six? Can they maybe even get into the top four with, you know, riding that wave of um, of winning an FA Cup, a new manager, Aubameyang signing a new contract, and it's all just gone backwards. It's it's a bizarre situation at the club, but you know now fast forward twelve months and they've got the the ownership issue um, with you know everybody hating the Kroenkes and wanting this Spotify founder who no one knows anything about to come in and wave his millions. Um, and try and save the it's very, club. It's very Arsenal, this, yeah. isn't it? It feels very Arsenal. Oh, yeah, let's let's try and buy something that's not for sale. And good luck with that, lads, because um, it's literally not for sale, so good luck trying to buy him out. Mm. Um, yeah, it's Arsenal have got problems. They've had problems for years, and it just tends to be once you get rid of one set of problems, another set is, like, fresh to just land on your doorstep in a... In a little fire, like a bag of dog crap on your uh, on your on your uh, <laughs> your front doorstep, you got to stamp it out, and then another one comes. It's crazy, but it is what it is with Arsenal. We're used to it. I thought they should have they should have won the game last night, um, and I, I kind of give up hope when I think it was after about fifteen minutes. Um, Thomas Partey managed to try a pass back from just inside his own half, and very nearly lobbed his own goalkeeper. Bent Leno had to head it away because it was that bad. Um, and I think it it made the highlight. It's on YouTube. It's hilarious. I don't know how he got a pass so badly wrong, but it just kind of summed up where Arsenal are at the minute because mm. they're just un- disjointed and a little bit unhinged. I think never-ending dog crap on your doorstep. Remind me not to do any right move shopping around <laughs> your neighbourhood. <laughs> stay where I am. If that's all right. Um, I mean, it, there is an irony in Unai Emery being in the opposite dugout last night. A man who was hounded out by Arsenal and. A- Again, the fans were angry last night. There was an angry reaction, which isn't just because they've been knocked out of the Europa League. It's because of the European Super League. It's because of the continued non-success at Arsenal. But where do they go from here, Leon? Do they have faith in the process? Do the fans get listened to? Because I think 
the likes of Arsenal Fan TV have kind of damaged Arsenal in this area through the years. They've got a reputation in terms of a fan base as moaning, even when the going was good. I'm thinking back to the Wenger out campaigns and hounding him out of the club as well after the success he bought and the demands for transfers. So it doesn't help their cause necessarily. But do the Arsenal fan base now have a legitimate complaint that they do need change, that they might want a new manager or a new fan base. I mean, there seems to be so many issues, it's difficult to know which fire to fight first. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of problems, but I think with Arteta as a young coach, um, I think you've got to give him at least next season. Um, I think you've got to try and give him some money in the summer, if there is much money there, but you've got to try and give him another chance, because if you start changing him now, then you become one of these clubs that just wants to get a new manager in every single time something goes wrong. And maybe winning the FA Cup kind of papered over a lot of cracks for him. But in fairness, in those two games, I don't think anybody could argue that Arsenal deserved to win the Cup last season. Um, obviously, their whole campaign this time around was based upon the Europa League. But let's not forget, they were quite lucky to only finish 2-1 in the first leg. Mm. If Villarreal had taken their chances, the tie probably could have been over. But Arsenal fans, they've got to be careful what they wish for. And you are right when you go back to Wenger and then you look at Unai Emery, he never really got a chance. Um, OK, he probably didn't get to grips with the Premier League, but he wasn't there that long. And he has proven it once again that with a side, he can get the job done. I mean, let's not forget how good he was with Sevilla. Now he's with Villarreal and he's got them into a Europa League final. And I think they're going to give Manchester United one hell of a game. That's going to be very close, in my opinion. So, Arsenal, they've got to just take their time. Um, there is problems. The fans have a huge voice, it seems, in terms of what happens and in terms of what they want to say. But I think in Kroenke, they've got a guy who has an awful lot of money and these guys who are billionaires, they're not used to the word no. And they normally get what they want. Um, I think Arteta will be okay. I think he's got to get a little bit of money. And we've probably got to judge him next season. If it ends up that they're mid-table once again. And that you don't know what Arsenal side you're going to get from week to week. Because that's what they are. They're a real Jekyll and Hyde side. Some weeks you look at them and think they could be going somewhere. Then you watch them the following week and think, oh my God, they have got severe problems. But they've got to give them one more season, in my opinion. But if it goes as bad as it did this time around, then I don't think he or anyone else could expect him to continue in the role as the Arsenal boss. How's that final looking on Boyle Sports, Leon? So it's Manchester United, Villarreal, we know that. Manchester United, I imagine, are odds-on favourite to win that one. But... Probably outright betting isn't the way to go if you want to see good returns. What, what else could we be looking at in that final in terms of having a little bet? Yeah, look, it's, it's, I mean, like United are very short, in my opinion, in terms of lifting the trophy. I mean, they're two to five. So you've got to put on five to win two. So you obviously get seven back. Villarreal are seven to four just to lift the trophy. Now, to me, I think that is a decent price because the one thing... Um, I think as Marley said earlier on, they're going to be so well organised and they're going to try and frustrate United and they're going to try and hit them on the break. Um, Manchester United have had serious problems, especially at Old Trafford, when sides go there and defend. They find it really difficult 
to break sides down that don't leave gaps and that don't leave spaces. And in fairness to Emery, he will know that Manchester United, they've got the power and they've got the pace if you do leave open spaces for them. That's not going to happen. This could be a long kind of Europa League final. Don't be surprised if we look at extra time and don't be surprised if we go all the way to penalties. But just on the outright betting at the moment, for me, Villarreal have got to be value at 7-4. to four. Top tips. And don't forget those odds are right at the time of betting. They are liable to change. 18 plus. Bet responsibly and be gambleaware.co.uk. There's a game tonight in the Premier League. It's Leicester City versus Newcastle United. Overshadowed slightly by the latest lawsuit filed by Mike Ashley against the Premier League. We'll talk about the game and what's happening off the pitch next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Time to turn our attention to tonight's Premier League game. It is Leicester City versus Newcastle United. Being overshadowed slightly by the lawsuit filed by Mike Ashley this week against the Premier League. He claims that the Premier League blocked the £300 million takeover of Newcastle United by Saudis last summer. And that breached competition law. The Premier League have declined to comment, but they maintain they did not block the sale of Newcastle United and at the time offered arbitration over the disagreement with regards to who would run the club. As usual, Marley, at Newcastle United, it's a mess. Um, well, what's Ashley's end game here, do you think? Do you think he's hoping to force the takeover through in some way or is that dead and he's just got an eye on maybe a bit of compensation from the Premier League? Uh, I, th- I think his end game is what it's always been, and it's to um, to get the club sold. Um, it doesn't. I don't think it really matters who he wa- who he sells it to. In from his point of view, um, he just wants rid of it. And the eventually, you know, when the Saudis showed their interest, um, it was real. It was it, you know, we've, I think over the years we've had a lot of time wasters saying they they want to buy it, and then it comes down to the brass tax, and they they back out. Um, but the the Saudis had it had everything they needed. Um, it looked like it was going ahead, and then the Premier League just dithered and and waited and refused to comment and refused to um, to to pass the the board on this um, on this the owners and directors test or whatever it, whatever stage it got to, and they mm. just eventually, obviously, it ended up that the um, the deal was was pulled off the table um and Ashley went hang on a minute why because you should have you should have said yes or no it doesn't matter what you say you can say yes or you can say no and then provide your reasons for saying no but the Premier League didn't do that they didn't do that at all um and I'm not one who usually agrees with with Mike Ashley's way of doing things but when a businessman like as prolific and as ruthless as him has a bit between the teeth and has something that he feels wronged by and chases it in court, you know he's got a point. You know that he's um he's not making this up. Because we seen it as as fans, the fact that this this takeover rumbled on for about three months. It was in the it was with the Premier League for months. Um and in the end it didn't go through. There was rumours of um the big six in particular uh, raising doubts over the integrity of the of the league and basically saying, well, they've got too much money if they come in, and that's very that's complete rubbish. When you 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 think of who the top six are, you think of Man City, 
um, and you think of the money they've spent and Chelsea and all the rest of them and everyone spent ridiculous amount of money so it was almost like they wanted to draw the bridge up and say no one else gets into our club and then a year later they all try and bugger off to the Super League anyway so that was that was kind of the two the two actions there match up perfectly because they don't want anyone coming into their club and playing with their ball um, and then they tried to leave the league anyway to stop that happening anyway because nobody everyone wants Man City like for example just to pick on pick on them um, and Chelsea they want to be able to spend their money freely and willy nilly but they don't want anyone else to come and threaten them because that's where competition comes from they might win less they'll be less successful in future um, and by all accounts the, the Saudis that were going to take over Newcastle were a ridiculously wealthy well it's a, it's, it's essentially a country running running Newcastle yeah. and that was where the issue came from and I've got no doubts that they're uh, immoral and you know a bit sort of dirty in a way but you don't that doesn't relate to them not passing an, an owner's test um, and that doesn't have grounds f- to uh, reject the, the takeover. And Mike Ashley knows that and Newcastle know that and I think the Premier League know that and that's why Ashley's trying to take them to court and say, you know, what was it, the spirit of competition or whatever it was, the competition clause. Mm. And he's 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 got a point, so I don't know whether it'll, um, how it'll play out, but I certainly don't think he'll settle for an out-of-court payment or anything like that. I think this is trying to embarrass the Premier League and say, you've made a mistake here, you've got no grounds on which to reject this uh, takeover and I'm going to prove it in court. So I think Mike Ashley can afford pretty good lawyers with uh, the 50s he carries around in his pocket. So I think um, we're in for a quite a long, drawn-out, boring at times, but ultimately it could be a bombshell at the end of it. Do you think there is a genuine cartel here, Leon, trying to protect the elite of football? Because, I mean, this is exactly what Manchester City levelled at UEFA when they were having the accusations about breaking FFP and some of the suggestions that the Euro- Euro- European football wants to protect the elite. And here you've got Marley very w- nicely outlined what Mike Ashley referred to as dark forces being at work, that it is the top six that want to protect their status as the top six is that genuinely the case within the Premier League 100% they they see themselves as the big boys they don't want anyone else in their little club and as soon as another club has the opportunity of getting backed to the tune of hundreds of millions and billions obviously in some cases they don't like it And that's why I hope as a football fan, and this will be music to your ears, Jim, but I hope West Ham finish in the top four because what it does is it just upsets them a little bit. Mm. It upsets them. It upsets the big boys around Europe that no disrespect to West Ham, but they're not kind of viewed upon as a, you know, one of the big guys. You shouldn't be in the Champions League. How dare you finish in the top four? But this is why all of us love the game. This is why we want to see the competitive nature always remain. You cannot just be making laws and rules just to suit yourself. And I think Marley has explained it really well. Why did it take the Premier League so long to actually make a judgment on this bid for Newcastle United? Surely the Geordies deserve a big wealthy owner coming into that club 
They've got 50,000 people go every home game, week in, week out, being starved of success. But they're loyal to their football club. And if they had the opportunity of getting a, a huge wealthy owner to come in, why shouldn't they dream? And why shouldn't they believe that they're going to start winning trophies? It happened with Man City. It happened with Chelsea. Like, let's not forget... Those two clubs are owned by very, very wealthy people. Say what you want about them in your own time, but they came in and they put their money behind both of those clubs and success followed very, very quickly. So why shouldn't Newcastle have that opportunity or any other club for that matter? If there's new owners willing to come in who have deep pockets and spend the money to bring success, I don't understand what took the Premier League so long to make their decision. I really, really don't. It does seem to be a slightly strange one and it's very unclear why the deal fell through and why the Premier League took so long in terms of either, as you say, Marley, saying yay or nay for that deal to happen. As for the game itself, though, Newcastle's form has been better in recent weeks, I think. Not 100% safe in terms of Premier League survival yet, but all but, I'd say, one more win is probably going to be plenty. It's still, despite that, hard to see anything other than a Leicester City win tonight, isn't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't think we're... Coming off the back of the Liverpool game, you know, we, we were, you know, in some sort of form. I think we were four unbeaten at that point. Um, and then we absolutely stunk the place out against Arsenal. We made Arsenal look like a decent team, which is... You know, hard to do recently because they're they're easy to play against, and we just rolled over and wanted our bellies tickled against them. So it was very easy for Arsenal that day. Um, so there needs to be a reaction, basically, um, and we can. It it almost doesn't really matter about the uh, the result if Fulham lose this weekend because I think if if we lose to to Leicester tonight and and Fulham lose to Burnley on Monday, um, it'll be nine points gap with nine points left to play for. Um, and the last, the last thing we want is to, is for Fulham to win that game, and then Fulham to win um, the next two, and have it go down to the final day because Newcastle play Fulham on the final day, which I'm absolutely just desperate to avoid. We need to, we need to beat someone before that. That's not going to happen, uh, Marley. Fulham have only taken one point out of the last fifteen. Newcastle are safe, mate. You're all right. I hope so. Um, I, I do. I agree with that as well. To be fair, I don't. I think Fulham, Fulham's uh, little run of of good form is is long gone. Um, they seem to be much easier to beat than they were six or seven weeks ago. Um, so I'm I'm kind of thinking it is done. Um, but also, I've seen Newcastle be on the beach for the past six weeks of the season for the last five or six seasons, and it happens <laughs> every year. Um, and I'm hoping that they don't. They don't do it again. They actually prove something. They're, they're a bit braver in possession or try something a little bit different. Um, but Leicester tonight, I mean, Leicester has still got plenty to fight for, so they're not exactly going to be uh, as, as easy as as they could be if they were if they were cemented in second or third or whatever they were in the league at that time. So I think um, I can't see us beating them tonight. I think Leicester will easily uh, just brush past us. Fabian Schaar is out. He was red-carded against Arsenal. Joe Willock is back. Obviously, he couldn't play against Arsenal, it being its parent club. No fresh injury worries for Leicester City tonight, Leon. And I think the news for Leicester City recently, part of their recent form has been all down to Kalichi Iniacho, who 
his run of form at the moment, his ability to score and assist continues week after week after week at the moment. And I've said before, I keep on expecting it to come to an end. I expect it to be a, a freak, but he just keeps on going at the moment. Do you think this is the rise of a new star? That We're just seeing his development a little bit slower than we're used to, maybe. Because there was a time when he was compared to Marcus Rashford, and then he's kind of dropped down the pecking order a little bit he's moved from City to Leicester City so do you think this is a player who can maintain this in the future are we seeing a new like I say star of the Premier League emerging well I think he has um, really shown class over the last kind of 10 games I mean I was just looking at his kind of stats Um, he's had like three and a half shots last 10 games 1.8 of those are on target he's averaging 1.2 goals a game in those last 10 games I think he's benefiting from Brendan Rodgers and showing a lot of faith in him. Um, I think the way Leicester play also suits Ian Acho. I've always been hugely impressed with his his touch. He is a very, very skillful footballer. You used to question the work rate. That seems to be improving game by game. Um, Jamie Vardy, an exceptional player that he is, is not getting any younger. There is a spot there for someone to go into Jamie Vardy's shoes. They're big shoes to fill. But if you look at Ian Acho and how he's playing at the minute, I'm sure Leicester City fans are hoping that that can continue. And he is really, um, he's really earmarking himself as a star. And he has really propelled Leicester into their position in the Premier League table at the moment because Vardy went on a long run without getting even a sniff of a goal. He just didn't look like scoring. So it was up to Ian Acho. Yes, Harvey Barnes, James Madison have been exceptional as well this season. But I think Ian Acho has really stood up to the plate. When the pressure was on, I think he has delivered. And I think Rodgers maybe has put the arm around him and given him that confidence that he can be one of the main men um, at Leicester City. Looking at the game tonight, for me, I think this is going to be a comfortable Leicester City victory and when you look at Newcastle they've still got Sheffield United at home I think that's their last home game of the season so there should be some fans back in I think they'll win that game and then they've obviously got Fulham on the last game of the season Newcastle are safe but I think Leicester they really need to win this they're probably getting Man United at a good time in that run of three games in five days Mm -hmm. to cement their Champions League status because I think last season, when the league was stopped, everyone still felt Leicester were going to finish top four. We all saw what happened. It didn't happen for them. So to come back this year, you've got to give them a lot of credit. And with the injuries to kind of Barnes and Madison at key times, they could have felt sorry for themselves. They could have slipped out of the top four, but they didn't. I think they're going to finish in the top four. They're obviously in an FA Cup final against Chelsea. And just for a little bit of kind of, Value on the game, we've got a, it's called Bet Builder. So you just pick a couple of different uh, options, you put them all together and it makes up your bet for someone who wants to have their one pound on it. I'm going to go with Leicester to win. I'm going to go with Ian Acho to score at any time. I think both teams will not score. I think Leicester are going to win with a clean sheet and over two and a half goals. And that works out at 11 to two. So pretty much what I'm going for is 3-0 Leicester, Ian Acho to get one of those goals and um, to take over two and a half goals. I just see this being a comfortable win for Leicester tonight. It's a game 
that they're going to look at as it's a must three points to maintain their Champions League status. And I think you've got to give an awful lot of credit to Brendan Rodgers as well. Mm. Um, after what happened last season, they play a really nice brand of football. And even when Maguire was sold, they were able to pick up players to fill that gap. They're a really nice side, Leicester. And um, congratulations to them because I think they will finish in the top four. Absolute credit to Brendan Rodgers, as you say, for making Leicester City into a team that don't feel don't feel out of place in that top four either. They feel like they're becoming regulars within that elite, which is really impressive. Those odds that Leon mentioned you can find in the Boyle Sport app. It is 18 plus, bet responsibly and be gambleaware.co.uk. Before we move on from the game, Marley, we've mentioned Brendan Rodgers, what he's done at the club, what he's done from Ian Acho, and he does deserve credit for that. And it's one of the reasons he's being linked with a potential move to Tottenham in recent days. Certainly Spurs fans seem keen on Brendan Rodgers over one of the other names being linked to the move, um, Graham Potter. Would you be tempted, if you were Brendan Rodgers, to move from Leicester City to Tottenham? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, Even though it is a inverted commas, bigger club? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think, I don't think it's... I think it's very little other than a sideways move. Um, yes, it's you know historically bigger and what have you, but look at the things you're doing with Leicester at the minute. I think um, they're a genuine top four side, Leicester. Um, you know we've seen Arsenal and Spurs slip away in the last few years, um, and Leicester have been there to pick up the slack and step into that gap. Um, I think they've got a hell of a squad. They've got the, the, the in my opinion, they're the best run team in the Premier League in terms of manager and board and everyone on the same page. The scouting we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, on the podcast, and it was talking about signing Fafana, Soyuncu for for small fees, getting Madison for for a, a little bit of cash, even going back to Vardy years ago. You know, they signed him for for a million quid or whatever it was, um, and it's. I just think Leicester have got everything a manager needs to stay. I don't think you'd be like, oh, look at Spurs. They've got all this that I can I can enjoy that I can't at Leicester. And I don't think he'll uh, I don't think he'll go. To be honest, I think if you're looking at Spurs, I don't know why Graham Potter's being linked with the job. Um, I don't think he's done anything special really at Brighton. I think they play nice football, but they don't score goals. And you can probably put that down to the players, but I don't think he's got the respect to go into a bigger club and um try and uh try and introduce what he what he likes to do there I think he'd be almost like disrespected by the players and, and not really taken seriously um but I think the one guy who should be who Spurs fans should be chasing and and Spurs board should be chasing is Rafa Benitez I think he's he's out of work he wants to work in England he hasn't got many links that would rule him out of the Spurs job um for example you know, he, he was Chelsea manager, but the the fans hated him when he was Chelsea manager for some reason. Um, and he's out of work. He wants to, he wants to come back to the Premier League and he's a world class manager. So I don't see why you wouldn't go for someone like him rather than taking a chance on on someone like Potter or chasing Rodgers when he's got everything he needs to, to succeed at, at Leicester and he's doing he's proving that as well. I'm going to throw you a, a surprise question here, Leon. But who is favourite for the next Spurs manager at the moment? <laughs> I'm actually just trying to find it because we don't have betting up on it at the moment but um, I think it's a great show about Rafa Benitez um, he's a born winner yes okay sometimes I mean I've 
witnessed him at Liverpool and at, you know at times I felt um especially that season when we I think we'd six or seven draws at home um when I felt if we had been a little bit more positive we probably could have won the league that year but he still won a Champions League he won an FA Cup and with Chelsea he was successful I think with Spurs they they I think fans actually feel that they're bigger than what they are and you've got to go a long, long way back to remember when Spurs were really up the top end of the English kind of top division. Um, they're nowhere near it at the moment. And the problem I even see with Spurs is that whoever comes in, if they lose Harry Kane, I wonder, are they going, are they going to be able to attract the top manager? Um, because when Kane goes, I think there's going to be big holes to fill. Like, where do you get someone to replace his goals, his all-round play? Um, Spurs have got big problems at the moment for me. And certainly going back to Brendan Rodgers, why would you ever leave Leicester in terms of you're able to run your um, part of the club without any interference? That's not going to happen at Spurs. It never does. So... I think Rodgers is doing a brilliant job. And for me, when Pep Guardiola leaves Man City, I think that's what Brendan Rodgers is looking at next. Um, I think Rodgers is that calibre of going to a club like Man City. He should have won the league with Liverpool. He went up to Scotland. Yes, it's not that competitive, but his record up there even speaks for itself. But the job he's done at Leicester, for me, propels him into one of the top uh, candidates whenever Guardiola decides to walk away from Man City. That game tonight, Leicester City versus Newcastle, kicks off at 8 o'clock. And if you want previews ahead of the rest of the Premier League's weekend action, Fergal and the team will be here tomorrow morning. When you wake up, there'll be a fresh podcast waiting in your inbox. If you have clicked follow or subscribe on this show, we're going to return our attention to fantasy football. Next, I'm going to be joined by Matt Dyson from Game Week Podcast. We'll give you the latest tips and advice on your fantasy Premier League team. That is next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is Fantasy Premier League time. I'm only going to be able to say that for another couple of weeks. And joined by Matt Dyson from Game Week Podcast, our resident expert. How are you doing, Matt? Well, expert in inverted commas. Thank <laughs> you, Always Jim. in inverted commas. As much as anyone can be an expert at predicting the outcome of football games, this season more than ever. Yeah, it is slightly like rolling a dice. We're going to kick on with some questions that are coming in a second. But as we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon, so the latest news is that rescheduled Manchester United versus Liverpool game that was called off because of the protests is going to be chucked in next week. Manchester United have three fixtures in this coming games week. So is now the time to load up our team with Manchester United and Liverpool players? Well, yeah, Liverpool were going to have just a single game and now they've got a double. And like you say, Man United have got a triple. And it's all thanks to those uh, anti-Glazer protesters who actually, it worked out quite well for me because I had Mason Mount on the bench last week and as Sadio Mane didn't play, he came in, so I got his six points. One of the great things to come out of the protest for me on a personal level was that. But I heard the Glazers were saying the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't say anything, mate. They, they, do, they refuse to answer any questions whatsoever. They just roll, walk around with their weird rat tail haircuts being completely mute. 
Long may the protest continue, I say. But how they managed to fit this game in, I can't, I was looking at United's fixture and think, well, this is me. When the hell are they going to play it mm. with Europa and with loads of games on anyway? And the, and they can't fit it in, but they just made them fit it in. They've got three games in five days. I mean, any sports scientist will tell you that is that is not going to happen, is it? That's the the, the modern players aren't going to be. So it's Particularly so it's when a trip. the games fall. It's Sunday, then yeah. Tuesday, and then Thursday. It's mad. It's a mad turnaround. And then when, once they've just had this trip to Italy, and, you know, presumably they come through unscathed from that. But then it's a triple, which sounds on paper amazing. And, like, people, as we talked about last week, that have saved their triple captain, this could be a great time to triple captain a Man United player. But I can't imagine there's one player that's going to play in all three of those games, that's going to put in a full 90 in all three of those games. It simply can't happen, and it won't happen. So, there's, I mean, there's got, to, there's got to be rotation going on. It's just who will be rotating the least is what you've got to try and work out and like I've had Fernandez for a lot of the season but recently got rid of him due to a dip in form and I just still think although you know he likes a penalty and Man United can't go three games without a penalty so he's got to get a penalty at some point in that run but I mean is he is he gonna is he gonna start every game will he he's, surely he's gonna be rested for one the main one I'm getting in because I've got a bit of a quandary because I've still got my free hit and uh, I would normally use a free hit for such a big double slash triple. Mm. But the blank that's coming up after, I've got so many, I've got three Leicester players, three Chelsea players, so I have to plan ahead for the blank afterwards. So I'm going to use the free hit in the blank rather than now. It's an absolute headache at this stage of the season, to be honest. Uh, but the only man United I'm putting in is is Greenwood, purely okay. because he's an absolute bargain at 7.2 million. His price seems to be increasing very quickly at the moment, but because uh, obviously he's an obvious person to put in for a Man United trip. But even if he doesn't start, he is like a real, he's an impact sub that can, can come on and instead of just wandering around for 20 minutes like Martial might do or something like that, he will actually score and make a, make a difference. A bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would as a player when he used to come on as a sub, not quite the same, but uh, in that similar similar way that he used to make a difference when he came on as a sub. I think Mason Greenwood, so even if he doesn't say he just comes on for the last 20 minutes of two of those three games, he's still going to rack up points potentially. Because I can't see the, the defence keeping clean sheets in these games either and what defence is going to play I mean Leicester at home Liverpool at home they're tough games for Man United well, even he, Villa away he's not a big fan of rotation Solskjaer either is he he, no. he tends to have quite not normally, a rigid yeah. team so it'll be interesting yeah, to see how he handles it he likes a settled first team which I which is really refreshing and it makes the life of a fantasy football manager a lot easier because you know he's going to play week to week and uh, you'd, you'd normally say that Shaw is there you know in terms of assists one of their top performers of the season certainly but I just it, he, he's great if they going to get clean sheets but I just I can't see them getting clean sheets in these games and maybe Wan-Bissaka is another option but a, are they going to play in these games? And B, are they going to keep clean sheets? I'm not 100% sure. But you yeah, sound like very stressed by the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, sorry, I mean, I'm just waffled on. That's the whole time slot is filled up by me talking about what a nightmare this triple is. Because I think in many ways, the triple, it makes Manchester United players perform worse because mm. they're not going to have the same minutes as they would have if they were just in a double. Okay. So don't get um, sucked so, in. God, the, the, the okay, is okay, is your polite in. way of saying, all right, shut up about it now. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard enough. We've heard enough. If you're going to go for someone, go for Greenwood. But 
the triple well, game isn't necessarily a good thing. That's kind of I mean, the look, summary. Yeah, Fernandez will probably come good and come back and bite me. But I mean, realistically, I mean up front as well. For, I mean, if, if the Man United attacking options are, are limited up front, I suppose Rashford is fit at the moment. I mean, is he really an out-and-out striker? I don't really think he's. That's quite the right position for him. Uh, Martial's out injured, and Cavani is well old. There's no way he's playing a three ninety minutes in the space of five days, is there? Mm. Surely not. It's fall apart. And potentially a Europa League final too. Exactly. Well, there's a lot going on. Yeah, like you say, he doesn't want to rotate, but he's going to have to. Van der Beek may finally get a start. You know, (laughs) Van der Beek and Juan Mata. There's my tips. Go go. big on Juan Mata. (laughs) Triple captain him. That's the only thing to do here. That's dying on a hill, that one. Uh, (laughs) It really is, yeah. Let's kick on with some questions that have come in. Rachel first. She says, both me and my league rival have Kane Lingard and Calvert-Lewin, but I need to find an edge in these last two weeks. Who can I swap them for? Keep in mind, it's going to cost me a potential eight points. So she's willing to roll the dice to catch up with the league leaders by the sound of it. But who did she get? I mean, Kane's the big one. Pretty much everyone's got Kane at the moment. It's risky. It's risky, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And Kane, you know, he's he's not firing on all since that slight ankle injury. He's not completely uh, hit the ground running on his return. Um, But... I mean, I think he, he will do. It's, it's, it's hard to get rid of someone like Kane, mm. is it? I mean, I don't know if that's where you should be trying to get the def- differential advantage. And they've got some decent games and they've not got a blank Tottenham, so they are very attractive. But look at, I mean, what Bale did last time out was outstanding. And, you know, if he's maybe the big form player for Tottenham at the moment, so Bale or Son maybe, rather than Kane going forward, could be if you were thinking about making a slight changes there. But I, I can't bring myself to sell Harry Kane. And I've got Son as well, but I mean, it just it seems like a, a, a mad idea to get rid of him now. But I suppose if you want to make changes, that's one of the options. And what, who else did she have? She's got... Um, Lingard and Calvert-Lewin, which okay. I guess tend to be the kind of players that everyone yeah. has, but everyone has those players for a reason. Well, yeah, it's, it's the real... They're the template team players that are in everyone's team. And yeah, it's, 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 I suppose you could get another West Ham asset. I mean, Antonio's back now. Is he ever fully mm. fit? I mean, maybe swap out Kane, bring Antonio in and then put Bale in midfield instead of Lingard. That would be a decent looking team that's still potentially going to score points and might score more than the other one to be honest but you never know when Antonio's hamstrings are going to go again do you? I mean that's why he's only got 4.9% ownership because he's a bit of a liability in that respect So stick with what you've got of you Rachel maybe look for your differentials elsewhere rather than the players Uh, that are in form Yeah or or, yeah or go for the slightly other just have a slight mix up and pick um other form players from different teams. So there is potentially a way to do it, but I just feel it's very risky and it could backfire and you could end up being further behind your rival. OK, let's move on to Peter's question. We've talked about Pep Roulette a lot. Now, Peter's suggesting something that I think you're going to like. He says, is it time to ditch City players with the league almost won and the Champions League final oh. being a massive distraction? Chances are this weekend City will seal the league. So then what yeah. happens from there? Pep Roulette's going to get even crazier, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. I mean, I've been boycotting Man City players for about a month now. I've, I had it. I had enough of it. It got, it got ridiculous. <laughs> the roulette uh, became unbearable. Uh, you don't know who's playing from week to week and I just thought you know there are a lot of other good players in this league that are going to score a lot of points 
I can live without Manchester City players, you know, even though they are amazing and they're doing really well on in every in every competition they're in. It's just you can't guarantee they're going to start. So yes, I 100% stay away from Man City players. It's I've been doing it for a while, it? it's and it's not of. really hampered my score. It's not hampered me no. that much not having them. But a league leader, the team that are winning the league, you don't want their players in your fantasy yeah. football team. I don't it's... remember a season that's ever happened before. Well, it seems like an insane thing to do, but like pretty much Edison is the only guaranteed starter from game to game. And, and yeah, I mean, he's a decent keeper, very expensive, but he, I mean, he, he, he's not even getting as many clean sheets as he did last season. So I don't want to not pick Man City players, but you, if you have someone like Cancelo who looks amazing when he plays, it's like he's going to be in one week and then out the next. And mm. I, can't, I can't be living my life like that, Jim. <laughs> There you go, Peter. You're on the right track. Get rid of the City players. Uh, right. Although, I mean, maybe Aguero. Maybe this is Aguero's swan song. Oh, That's yeah. the only one thing I would say. It's like he seems to be. He started with him. He's given him a full, full game. Finally. I mean, I know he's had some injuries this season, but like it could be a time for Aguero. He might just go right. Aguero, it's your last, last few games for us in the Premier League. You've been a legend for the club. Just go out there and hit a hat trick. You know, he's the only one I consider getting in at the moment. Weirdly, chasing some scoring records, Aguero as well, and running out yeah. of time to do. Him, obviously, because it looks well, he it looks like he'll be leaving City in the summer. Whether he leaves the Premier well, yeah. League or not, is another question. Where will he go? Yeah, that's the big thing. Interesting mm. idea that might. I'm gonna, I might do that one. Uh, right, last question comes from Owen, who this is feels like it's a little a couple of weeks premature, really. It looks feel like it's a, a retrospective season question. But he says, Who's been your fantasy football hero this season? Who's been the 100% must have that's really made the difference? Well, you know, I think, like you say, the season's not over, but I still think you can sort of break it down into the first half of the season and the second half of the season. I think Gundogan in the first of that first half of the season, possibly the middle third of the season, to be fair, he was just in the in, a, in amazing form. Uh, Gundogan banging in goals left, right, and centre. He went through this amazing purple patch, and he's still so relatively cheap about what 5.5 million or whatever he is and he mm. had that amazing run where he was just scoring every week I didn't have him in my team but he was 100% a must have I just thought that his run would end and it, it did eventually end I think again partly down to rotational issues and Kevin De Bruyne coming back to fitness played a part I think as well in that so he was my hero for the first half of the season Gundogan purely for bargain price levels but I think Jesse Lingard he may do oh, yeah. annoying celebrations and do that funny thing with his hands and have a close Line of, but his his story this season has been inspirational and uh, he should be winning his place in the England team for the Euros because what he's done to have been completely ignored at Manchester United for so long this season just think right that's it let's go somewhere else goes to West Ham completely turns them around scores I think well, he scored two on his debut didn't mm. he and then has scored nine got four assists since in about 15 games he's been on fire pretty much very few blanks from Lingard since he since he signed for West Ham on loan but he's just been amazing so I think he is my must have for the second half of the season very good shout Matt that is it for your fantasy football chat this week thank you very much if people want to find more from Game Sorry, Week... Sorry, can you hear my wife and children in the background? <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what, they, what are they arguing about? Um, who, who no, Ka- my, that's Katie telling Maggie off for something. Yeah, I think she's going, Maggie, don't complain about your daddy's pick for hero of the season. <laughs> Jesse Lingard is a valid choice. Do not criticise me. No, they want to go to... We're going to go to Zara to take some clothes back this afternoon. The exciting life I lead. So I think they're itching to leave, Jim. So I'll have to say goodbye. Well, I'll let you get off. And if you want to hear more from Matt and his family in the background, then Game Week podcast game week hq you can find that on twitter
Cheers, Jim. Nice one, Matt. That is it for Football Social Daily for another show. Don't forget, the Premier League preview show is out tomorrow morning. As soon as you wake up, it should be in your inbox as long as you've clicked follow and subscribe. Make sure you leave us a review. Tell us if you like this podcast and you can find more on your team at sport-social.co.uk. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.